Hey, Peter. Hey, Adam. We're back at it, and we're here to honor and celebrate one of the all-time greats, one of our favorites. Yes, absolutely. Mr. Ahmed Jamal. Let's get to it. I'm Adam Ennis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Music, advice, celebration, coming at you. Coming at you. This one is, I think, coming at us a little too soon. I mean, they're all too soon. But yeah. we just uh, did one of these episodes for another one of our heroes, Wayne Shorter. And yep. just here a few weeks later, losing another uh, incredible artist. Yeah. I would say, like Wayne, someone who really helped shape the sound of the second half of the 20th century. No doubt yeah. about it. One of the most influential musicians of all time, at least of recorded music, yeah. Ama Jamal, passed away at the age of 92, just yeah. a couple of days uh, before we're recording this. And I know, Peter, for us as pianists, uh, Ahmed was someone that we bonded over early on when we met and started talking about musicians that we liked. Yeah. And I actually don't know a musician that I'm friends with that doesn't love Ahmad's music. Absolutely. You know? So it, it's it's pretty much a universally respected um, corner of what we do uh, as jazz pianists. Absolutely. And I mean, what a, th- what a thing to have your life and your music and your legacy as Mr. Jamal um, had and will continue to have um, all enveloped in one sort of mutual admiration society. I mean, I think as pianists, we feel like he's one of our of, of us, and he is. But jazz musicians feel like he's one of them. I think trumpet players, because of his outsized influence, specifically on Miles Davis, and then because Miles Davis was so influential mm-hmm. on other instrumentalists, mm-hmm. that there's that special bond. But then just to the general jazz-loving public, but then to that other huge group of folks that are sort of jazz lovers adjacent, you yeah. know? <laughs> Record producers. Yeah. DJs. Yes. Hip-hop artists. Somebody who maybe R&B is... R&B musicians. Yeah, somebody who's like, well, you know, once or twice a year I listen to jazz, and once or twice a year I eat, you know, Lithuanian food or whatever. But when they do, they want to have the best of the best. They yeah, very but not well, for me on... Yeah, they, yeah. they very well would have had some Ahmad Jamal or something that he so directly... Um, Influence like Miles Davis and, right. and and Jill Evans, Gil Evans, and you know, some of the biggest records came directly out of Ahmad Jamal's um, conception. Yeah. You know, translated from Gil Evans and and Miles Davis from that great Ahmad Jamal trio concept. You know, what a beautiful little thing that he crystallized, but then was taken to so many different places. And then this is all getting beyond just his amazing piano playing. Amazing yeah. piano playing. And, he, you know, Ahmad Jamal as a human, um, and this is from a few interactions I have with him, but from many musicians that we know, really consistent across the board, was one of the most respected just people. Yeah. You know, they, you talk about, you know, they're always talking about his elegance, his grace, that he carried himself, yeah. but just his kindness, his generosity... His joy. Um, I know for me. I mean, it's, it, it was an honor. Do you ever hang? Yeah, I did. Get, I, I did get the chance to hang with him a couple times. And the first time I was getting into a van after a festival in France. This is way back in like the early '90s. I was in my early 20s, 
and um, Mr. Jamal was in the van, and I didn't know he was in there. I kind of got in, and I was just like, I mean, I almost fell backwards out of the van yeah. when I saw him. I He's was got a like, presence, man. He has a presence, yeah. but what he did was he scooted over and was like, oh, come on. So, and I was just like, no, no, no. I want, like, because he was sort of in the back, you know, and, and like me coming in was good. And then he was just like, no. And so I was torn between like, I wanted to sit next to him for mm-hmm. sure when I saw who, who he was and just to be around him. But also I felt horrible that I had to kind of push him over. But he was just, you know how people have like that physical kind of, you know, presence, but also the way that they move and what this can be so welcoming. Yeah. And so I got a chance to talk to him on that drive. And, um, you know, the next time I saw him, he kind of remembered me. And I, I just always took that opportunity because he was like, whatever the, what's the opposite of off-putting, inputting. Yeah. That, that's Welcoming, the way he was. warm. Very Open, warm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just like his music. So we, t- you know, we're talking about Wayne Shorter and Chicory and these Titans that we lost. It's scary, especially to, to lose Wayne Shorter and then Ahmad Jamal this close together. Close together. Yeah. But I'm also very. It's a lot of creativity. It's, it's a, a lot big of creativity. Crea- creative light. Um, both those guys out of yeah. the world. So. Yeah. For Mr. Jamal, I'm very glad that he lived a very long life and played yeah. basically his entire, from when he was very young. I agree. Up I agree. until almost the end. Yeah. Some people were saying it's oh, it's very sad that he's gone. And it is sad when anybody leaves us. But yeah. I feel like, you know, 92 is a, uh, is a really rich, well-lived life, especially his life that he, I think, really got the most out of yeah. at least in, in from looking in from the outside you never know on the inside but yeah like seeing his output and just being like you said like his warmth in person his presence uh was just so uh it really ele- elegant is a great word regal yeah even but just something very someone who's very comfortable in their own yes skin for very 90 authentic. years is a very that's a very uh, aspirational place yeah. to be. I think, I think too, us, because he was so consistent with his performing, with his recording. You know, he he was very much both like a trailblazer in terms of trying new things, especially early on, but also later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also evolving be- w- well into his later stages of his career. Yeah. Yeah. But also very willing and very you know, to recognize that he had these hits. I mean, like Point Sienna is like one of the, whether people know the title or know that it's Ahmad Jamal or not, is one of the biggest sort of, you know, I mean, what, you talk about piano trio, jazz piano trio in terms of most recognizable, most enjoyed when that groove comes on. And then obviously that groove's, you know, influence so much, his, his trio, I mean, influence, influence. But I think that his authenticity in terms of, what I saw around him, and also, you know, a lot of sort of the whatever insider um, feeling I, I have for him is I just had a few encounters and discussions with him, which were amazing. But Reginald Veal and Hurling Riley, who I've worked with a lot at, over the years, were kind of part of his one of his later great trios for many years, actually, yeah, up yeah. until almost till the end. And they shared a number of stories and just anecdotes from great the road. recordings with those two. Great uh, recordings, yeah. great videos. And I got to hear them live a lot and kind of be around them. So I feel like, you know, I mean, ultimately, I think with somebody like Ahmad, it's it's like you know them through their music. So yeah. even if someone's like, "Oh, I got to hang with them," it's like we all got to hang with yeah, them. Yeah, a little bit through it with the music, you know. Especially because he had these amazing, some of the greatest live jazz recordings ever made. Easy, you yeah. know. Yeah. In terms of sound and vibe and playing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those musicians that's. Uh, it seems like he's. I was going to say on another level, but it's really on his own, on his own level. He he kind of made his own plane. I, I we were listening to a couple of his albums just earlier here, Peter, for Open Studio folks on our weekly listening sesh. We were yep. listening to Live at the Pershing and Live at the Blackhawk, and you know I I 
I drew a, a direct comparison to Thelonious Monk, which you might not think just because as pianists, they sound so different. You know, they have such different sounds on the instrument. But I was more, you know, talking about as artists, to me, you know, they're, they were around the same generation yep. and both cultivated a sound that if you, <laughs> if you leave any kind of space, I think it was Benny Green or someone said this on Facebook, Amanj Amanj was the only artist that if you leave space, you could be accused of trying to rip him off. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, you right. know what I mean? Though, especially the way he left the space. way, like so. And it, like with Monk, there's certain things that if you do, yeah, it's like oh, that's you're just trying to be Monk or whatever. And it's this, like he didn't Monk didn't invite the whole invent the whole tone scale. But no, if you do it right. in, in, in his presence, right. it's, I mean, his musical if you do presence, that, you're going to be accused of trying to that's rip right. him. Yeah, same thing if if you. If you don't finish the phrase all the way and let it right. stroll for a bit, yeah. you might be accused of. Yep. Which I think is just, it speaks to just, uh, you know, there's a gear of being a great musician and a pianist and being able to deal with changes and all these technical things that we deal with. And then there's this other gear of having an amazing idea, an amazing concept that is right. your life's work. And he was definitely someone who had that at an extremely high level. Yeah. So maybe we can get into like what made him, we just talked about space and leaving space, but yeah. what are the things that you, when someone says, I'm a Jamal, what are the first things that come to mind musically for mm. you? Well, I, I think for me, it's his, the, his just exquisite piano playing, his piano technique, like the, 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 the dynamics that he played with the touch all the things that we think only pianists understand but in reality when you get to that really high level of technical proficiency proficiency like Ahmad Jamal had combined with just great musical ideas you kind of enter that world up to everyone you know when people go and say like oh my god that you you know that was such an amazing pianist like you have to be a virtuoso that's what it is he was a virtuoso yeah. at the piano so like take apart I mean, put aside even the amazing arrangements and the swing in this, and he was a club owner and all these different cool things that are part of it, hit maker with the poinciana and stuff, but just like he was a virtuoso of the instrument. So he had that, to me, what that, the highest level of that is when you can make just somebody that doesn't know anything about the piano be like, whoa, whoa. that's great. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, you actually don't get some of the virtuosity on some of those recordings because he was so restrained in his idea. Yeah. Like I would, th I think, I think live uh, at the Pershing, you hear you, it's virtuosic. There are certain parts, but if you listen to live the Blackhawk, yep. what for whatever reason he's feeling that piano. It's a little yep. bit later, 1962, from that era, mm. with that trio. It's like towards the end of that trio's run, um, for right before Israel Crosby passed away, and he is tearing that piano up in you know these beautiful, elegant ways. Not, yep. It's not Oscar Peterson or Art right. Tatum. It's in his ways, but. He's doing things so cleanly and articulately that you're just like, this is mastery on this yeah. instrument. You know? Yeah, to me, it's like his kind of virtuosity. Yeah, it is not the the crazy velocity, although he would do that he for can. sure. No. He, he, he has flashes of it in this live black flash. Yeah. Exactly. So it's more just the completeness of yeah. it. You know, he can take the velocity, he can take the really you know, incredible voicing. I, I don't even mean like the what notes he's playing, but how he voices things yep. out yep. between it. But then also just his ability to really, we're always talking about the piano being a whole orchestra, a whole big band, like totally. that ability. So I think once you move up that kind of virtuosic scale, you're going to hear a lot of that coming out and you hear so much of that. Um, and of course, you know, he's so well known within the trio format at first with bass and guitar and piano and then with bass, um, drums and piano, of course. 
but solo piano. I mean, I heard him do that quite a bit. Yeah, live. we listened a little bit. I think it was like about a year ago. We listened to his last album, which was solo, mostly solo. Right. It was amazing, incredible. Yeah. yeah, so it's like he had the concept, the musical concept, obviously, for the whole orchestra that was kind of, um, you know, pushed down into the trio format so beautifully. Yeah. But then he also had the ability to do that with solo piano, kind of effortlessly going back and, and forth between those. Make no mistake, he obviously knew about orchestration and the orchestra and how to get these textures out of things, yeah. out of the instrument. That and you, to me, that's what the, that when I say, you know, incredible technique, is that it would seem so effortless. And I know this, the first video we're going to look at, I was shocked whenever I go back to that to see how young he was then, because his sound is so mature because of that control, yeah. because of that, you know, patience, but authenticity and just sort of beauty and, and just direct connection between his ideas and the execution of it right to the listener that it's kind of shocking when i when i think of what makes his music so good i actually don't go to virtuosity first or even the piano first i go to the arranging first to mm. me that is the the markings that's the first thing i think about i think about what's new i think about how mm simple and brilliant the arrangement is i think about and kind of unusual too though. super like unusual. we think it's so because he made it, it was well, been copped a billion times <laughs> exactly. at this point we but forget I, how weird that arrangement it's super is weird, but i think about little things now that we all take for granted i think about but not for me and the yeah that kind of thing you know that those little touches the little the things and all of the things in Point Sienna, all the things and all of the standards, including the one that we're about to listen to and watch, Darn That Dream, all these little touches that they do, the signals that they would have between the trio. And then later on, you know, like you said, expanding his yeah. sonic palette to all these incredible colors and keeping the, and the same power. and the power and yeah. the same ideals of orchestration yeah. and space and letting letting his listeners walk away using mostly, mostly their imagination to help you know, connect with him and his music. I think that's those are the things that I'm I'm drawn to. Well, I'm just thinking of other layers of it, of the virtuosity. Something else that comes to mind is his ability to, and actually, we'll we'll be able to hear this if we get to the second example that it could happen to you, uh, to you, which I love. I love that for so many years. But his ability to shift, like he kind of had this swing virtuosity where he could shift from like out of time to bam, right in the pocket to out. And then it was certainly, a, you know, always connected with his arranging ability because yeah. he could hear the bass and drums. If they were locked in, yep. he would shift off and then kind of come back in. But it's Dynamic a virtuosity. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, nobody played dynamics on the piano yeah. like right. he did. Well, let's let's have a listen here. We okay. have a, uh, something queued up. This is from, I think it's from that big TV show. Like Jazz Casual it's or some, Jazz? One of, one of those. I think it was a special... This was the one where like Billie Holiday um, mm. sings in front of Lester, Lester Young, Young for the first right. time in like 20 years or something, right. and they would had been estranged. That's this one. So this is Ahmad Jamal Trio. Oh, this, this is Renell Fournier on drums, Israel Crosby on the bass. Darn that dream, 1959. So before he's even 30 here. Yeah. I think he's 20. 29. 28 yes. or 29 at this point. Here we go. The Ahmad Jamal Trio in Darn That Dream by Jimmy Van Heusen. With Ahmad Jamal at the piano, Ooh. Israel Crosby bass. Was that Hank Jones? It might have been. It's Ben Webster. That's Jim Jones. Yeah. That's Billy Holiday. Wow.
dynamics. Contrary motion. Yeah, but that left hand. Listen to the. He's playing in front of. They're all up on him. They're, they're, they're touching the piano. The masters. Mm. Random hipsters. <laughs> There's never, there's never a point where it's just like, nah. they don't stay too long on, and now we're just going to blow no. and blow these and all long that stuff lines. And all this feels so good, I'd just be sitting, I'd sit on each one of those lamps. Yeah, for a while, for t- way too long. <laughs> yeah, this is where he's hitting the velocity. He comes right back in time though, like that ship. Melody, he's never he's never more than eight bars from the melody. Yeah. Like right. it's always somewhere close. Man, Miles stole a lot of stuff from him. <laughs> like you can hear it. Obviously, a lot of Count Basie, a lot of yeah. Duke Ellington, a lot of Earl Garner. Yep. Nat King Cole. Yep. Piano. Teddy Wilson. The trills are so clean. Yeah. He always had that same. He would do that when he play like that, even when he was in his 80s. So how softly he's playing through here, yeah. just letting it. He's got some good fourth and fifth finger. Uh, yeah. Really nice. Those trills with five and four.
details, very detail oriented. You know what's amazing about all of the arrangements of this pier? Like, hey, the intricacies of this arrangement. For me, one of the hard things that would be to, to, to deal with that would be to then, when you get back into a section that is improvisatory, like he, he's able to switch between these very orchestrated, thought out things into improvisation and being really free in the moment, mm. like uh, on a dime. Yeah. Like when he goes then into just, you know, like they're, and then they're just swinging and he's got some space. Yeah. He's so free. And then he doesn't miss the hit that comes up eight bars later that's super right. intricate and the, the dynamics and everything. Like it's all free. It's right. all like in the moment. And yeah. it's really, really inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, you know, I've thought about this a lot and I've never totally been able to figure it out. It doesn't really matter, but it's kind of a fun thing to look at is like he, Ahmad Jamal, like you could almost from how he, especially with these, with these videos, and I'm just thinking back to seeing him live, you can almost not tell when he's doing something that's planned and arranged versus when he's just like coming up with something new. And I know later on, especially he used to have hand signals where there'd be different, you know, possibilities and stuff. But what's so cool about it is he doesn't act any different. Like when it gets to the more freer and open stuff, he's looking, smiling, playing. However, his like there's no affectation that changes. It's all part of yeah. one story, one performance. You know, sometimes a lesser musician would 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 either try to make the stuff that's planned out like that could sound spontaneous, like, oh, like I'm surprising myself, ooh, you know, kind of trying to play it up. Yeah. Or at least could, when it did get more open to, to act like they're improvised, you almost can't tell with him. Yeah. Like that could have been totally written out. I mean, we know it wasn't because we've heard him do different things. Yeah. And like, you know, if you know his style and you've seen him live, you understand. But there are parts that are totally planned out. Yep. But he doesn't treat them any differently, which is important because to the listener, they aren't. It's just coming like, at you in, in real time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's such an uber organized. Uh, thing and like the drama is built into the arrangement you know what i mean it's not like it's boring it's yeah. all built in like they could play it like this because it's all about like the execution like when you have something it's just like when you're playing you know lush life or something it's like yeah you can go crazy and go into a bunch of reharms and stuff but you better make sure you got something better than the original because uh, the original story is pretty good another thing with this this doesn't work unless it feels amazing yeah his music always swung it always felt amazing yeah. the grooves were always locked in it always felt relaxed yeah and in the pocket yeah and that it just you just don't get to do all that stuff and still i'm trying to say how would i say this gently because <laughs> you could this could be really nerdy this could be right. very like we're doing hits and there's all this stuff. Yeah, it's so exposed so, for the groove. Though. Yeah, exactly. So like you could you could execute on everything and be like, oh, I nailed that Ahmad arrangement, but, but you missed the soul of it. It's intellectual, but it's sexy. Yeah, and he pulls that off somehow. It's sex, se it's sexual, sexual, sexual. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's. Can yeah. I write that down? We're gonna. That's gonna be a new, a new catchphrase. Hashtag. No, you know what I mean though. Like, no, it totally. still has this feeling of like this incredible sensual raw feeling, yeah. even though there's all these planned out things and all these things that are difficult to execute and the improvisation, or whatever. But it doesn't feel 
I'm a, there's no words, no, bro-ish, or exactly. you know what I'm talking exactly. about. Exactly, it's like it's like a college professor that's talking about something that actually has a lot of like soul behind it, like mathematics or philosophy. Yeah. You can turn that into the nerdiest thing possible. Yeah. And you can make it sexy philosophy. Like you, know? you wouldn't take uh, <laughs> your buddies who are jazz nerds to see this. You'd take someone you <laughs> wanted to make out with. Exactly, to see this. exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Unless those this are is your baby bu- making music. Unless right those, <laughs> unless your buddies that are jazz nerds are the guys that you want to make out with. In which case, go. Exactly. This ahead. is not bro time. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. I think we, <laughs> I think we nailed it on that. <laughs> well, no, but that's also why. Think about this. We talked about the comprehensive. We sort of started out talking about the comprehensive nature of Mr. Jamal's piano technique, you yeah. know, and how, like, as pianists, we're gonna, you know, that's gonna be the starting point. But then also hitting on the influence on Miles Davis, yep. and then Miles Davis is by using these concepts. And look, we can't. We'd be remiss, and, and we mentioned it quickly, but like the Duke Ellington, Ahmad Jamal influence is is right there. Yeah, and also Monk because I think they were around the same. I think yep. Monk was a little older, a little older, but but, but, but there's, came up around the same time. Right, but yeah. there's definitely some Monk influences on Ahmad Jamal. Yeah. You can hear that. We Nat King Cole, as we said, we were talking about Miles and, and Ahmad's uh, Jamal's influence on Miles Davis, and you know, famously the space right that yeah. Miles, after hearing the Ahmad Jamal trio, started. You know, really incorporating more space, but I just to shout out to Miles in that Miles is his own artist as well. Sure, kind of took that idea and certainly made it his own. Right, and it's it's, and it's really like it's just ideas that are out there. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like I mean, I think that Miles. Well, he talked about this. I mean, I've I've seen him. We've seen him in interviews. He talked about this in autobiography. Is like he recognized. It's kind of like. It wasn't necessarily something that Ahmad Jamal invented. No, Louis Armstrong left a lot of space. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But the way he put it together with the trio, I mean, the genius of Miles was he wasn't just looking for like Clifford Brown and or Charlie Parker horn players, you know, that he was influenced by. Like he was looking for a bigger concept. Yeah. How do you orchestrate a band? So he didn't just look at a quintet and say, yeah. well, I'm going to create this. He had a quintet. Um, and, and then he did stuff with the mini big band with, with, with Jill Evans. But it's like he was just like, what is something that's beautifully orchestrated that's that's a band that's at the highest level yeah. that I can take take and that's already done this yeah. that I love? And that's was kind of his love of Ahmad. It's like, how do I take that and use that and connect with that with his own music and bands? You can't and you can't not reference Count Basie listening to this as yeah. well. I think especially, you know, that we were Ooh, just talking the about top. the overall sound that's swinging and feels good. Yeah. You know, using the top of the piano, lots of space, and then just a swing and rhythm section yeah. behind you. That's that's Count Basie. You know, oh, absolutely. That's his his archetype. So. And I mean, too. I, I, that's what I was gonna say. Like we started out talking about just the the virtuosity as a pianist, then as a, you know, as an arranger, as a leader of trios, and and you know, solo piano, all this stuff. But I would just say that I think that because he, Ahmad Jamal was so effortless in how he went to different venues and playing situations he was very much associated with playing in like really hipster um smallish clubs like the spotlight the you know the the black hawk in san francisco he had his own club the alhambra briefly that's an amazing recording live at the alhambra i think he only had the club for one or two years you know Mm. um the the pershing ever heard of that record i'm pretty sure you're familiar with that but it's like where you can feel you can hear the glasses clinking you know but you can also like kind of feel him like demanding the attention, but in a really interesting and kind of authentic way to what we like to think of the best of what jazz clubs can be. They're not silent, but they're not like people talking about what, when's the bands? Oh, they already started. You know, it's no, none of that nonsense, but there's a, there's an attentiveness there that is 
you know, palpable in a way, a connection that harkens back to another era that he always was able to do. But then, of course, when he started going to the concert halls and stuff, he was able to bring that same vibe. And that's where I actually heard him. I never got a chance to hear him oh, really? in a club. Oh, no. man. I heard him a few times at Jazz St. Louis here, which was incredible. I bet. Yeah. No, I never got a chance to hear that. Um, I heard him around that time, but it was always at like a festival yeah. outside or something. Um, no, I got my to dad heard him at, at the uh, Majestic. He actually played there. Yeah, right yeah. That first time. No, I got to hear him a couple times. Balcony right above the piano. Oh. Amazing. Yeah. Like to be, you know, 20 feet above his shoulders yeah. just watching him play. And they'd usually bring a nine foot in, I think, for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would bring in a Steinway stage, for right. that. Yeah. The old, it was the old stage. Yeah, right? The old stage. Yeah. yeah, I love that old stage. Yeah. Well, this was great, man. Do you want to go yeah. out on uh, another track? Yeah, I'll just put a little of this. I love this It Could Happen to You. I never know because I think uh, this was a huge track when I was coming up or with what we were listening to. But this is from Live of the Spotlight, 1958, 59, sometimes around there. But this is um, It Could Happen to You. So we want to just, you know, thank thank you and honors to, to the master, Mr. Mr. Jamal. For real. And the rich legacy that he leaves all of us and to the fans mostly, but to the musicians, yeah. to everybody. You know, and no, his, his music will to live his family, on his beautiful family, yeah. and his descendants. All of us, yeah, are kind of his descendants. No, it's past. He's, he's passed light on to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of, of mu people for sure. Yeah, but musicians that'll carry you know parts of his torch forever. Absolutely, so amazing. All right, yeah, you'll hear it. You hear it. 